Hello and welcome to edition number 1977 of the Whitney Talking News that we're recording in a very warm High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 7th of September. I'm Peter Bean, I edited this edition. And beside me at the recording controls is Eric Imerson. Now this week we've got items from Whitney, Woodstock, Bampton, Cogs, Finstock, Great Chew, North Lee, to mention but a few. About Whitney High Street, a donkey derby, an ale festival, a gold toilet, and many more. Our four readers this evening are Alan Ravel, Anne Trelaw, Stefan Gabshevich, Barbara Barringer, and... Let's have our first story, Alan, which is about Whitney High Street. It is. So the headline is Consultation, Great Chance to Reimagine High Street. And the story reads, People in Whitney are to be consulted on enhancements they would like to see made to the town's high street and market square. Oxfordshire County Council was awarded £1.98 million from the government's Active Travel Fund for street improvements. The funding was granted on the understanding that the current traffic restrictions are kept in place. A section of the high street was controversially closed to private vehicles in 2020 to enable social distancing during the COVID pandemic. The improvements aim to enhance public spaces while protecting the town's history and character as well as supporting local businesses and the market, making it easier and more enjoyable to walk, wheel and cycle, upgrading access to public transport and improving safety for all users. Councillor Dr Ruth Smith, leader of Whitney Town Council, said, Councillors have held out for residents' input into improving the high street. It's been a long wait, but now there's a good team in place. Now it's important for everyone to stay positive and take part in reimagining the space so it can become a place where we want to spend time, shop, meet up and enjoy our community. The project area runs from the roundabout at Welsh Way uh, and Worsley Walk to the War Memorial. Currently, a sensor at the Town Hall which measures the numbers and types of traffic is helping inform the evidence for the shaping of the high street. Dr Smith said, The funding is not enough to completely reshape the area, but any ideas that are too big for this phase will not be wasted. An online consultation starts next week and will run from Tuesday, September the 5th to Tuesday, October the 3rd, where residents can view background information on the project and leave comments. Paper copies are available by calling Oxfordshire County Council Customer Services, I'm going to read their telephone number, 01865 792 422. There will also be two public drop-in events on Saturday, uh, September 9, which is um, this week, between 10am and 4pm, at the very Methodist Church in Whitney, which we are recording in this evening, and on Tuesday, September the 19th, from 4 to 8 p.m. at the Corn Exchange in Whitney. 
In addition, engagement is also planned with councillors, local businesses, and regarding transport and accessibility. Woodney Town Council will hold a council meeting on Monday, September the 18th from 5.15pm to formulate its response to this online feedback. The enhancements will be designed during the autumn. There will then be a statutory consultation on the design, which is expected next spring, and by Christmas time, uh, that's next Christmas, not this current coming one, Oxfordshire County Council hopes to replace the current planters with narrowed road entrances at each end of the restricted road and to clear restriction signs. The roundabouts will be removed and clear signs installed showing priority directions into and out of the closed section of High Street. Now, Anne, you've got a very pleasant story about the Harvest Fair. Yes, and I was there. Ah. (laughs) Harvest Fair Fund raises funds for farm attraction. Hundreds gathered for the Cogs Harvest Fair in Whitney at the weekend to help raise funds to expand their working farm. Cogs Manor Farm in Whitney, which is managed and cared for by Cogs Heritage Trust, aims to keep agricultural heritage alive. The Mayor of Whitney, Owen Collins, came along to support the day and judge the poetry competition and food and product show. Over the weekend, visitors enjoyed a range of fake games, an assault course, a coconut shy, and music in the barn from Dolly Mavris, Scott Gordon Bond, Dave Oates, the Buttercross Ukuleles, and the Bontempt. On Sunday, the star of the show was a half-sized burrow traction engine and baler in action, the only one ever built. Guests could also take home food and flowers from the farm's walled garden for a donation. The weekend also saw the event's inaugural food and produce show, where visitors brought in their homegrown, supersized or novelty vegetables, floral displays or handcrafted creations, which were judged by experts from the COGS volunteer team. The Mayor's overall Best in Show winner was given to one guest, four perfect onions. General Manager Guy Reid said, We are thrilled to see so many people coming out to to support us and having fun. These special events are vital to bring visitors along and keep cogs in people's minds and memory. Proceeds raised this weekend will go towards the COGS tractor appeal to support our plans to expand the working farm, bring in more animals and open up the end meadows with lots more planned for the coming years. Stefan, you have a very topical story about concrete. Absolutely. In fact, I used to work in concrete, so I'm quite familiar with some of this. (laughs) Name the schools with weak concrete. An Oxfordshire councillor is calling for the government to come clean and name the schools affected by structural safety fears. Some 104 schools and colleges were left scrambling to put emergency measures in place in time for the return after the summer holidays, after being told by the Department of Education 
to partially or fully closed buildings. It is because of fears concrete used in their construction could collapse. However, the government was not revealed the 104 education facilities that are affected. Oxfordshire West and Abingdon MP Leila Moran said she feared the, the problems with reinforced ultraclave aerated concrete, better known as ABRAC, could even be far wider. She said, we know that the government have identified around 600 schools that need assessing. My understanding is that only about a third have been so, so we need a full transparency mechanism for parents. A spokesman for Oxfordshire County Council said all secondaries in Oxfordshire, bar one, are now academies and a large number of primaries are also academies. As such, the council is not responsible for them. Nonetheless, schools are asked to update the emergency school closures on the council's website if they need to close for any reason. Currently, none has listed itself as needing to be closed. Barbara, you've news of a donkey derby. That's right. Donkey derby proves a runaway success. Children saddled up to race donkeys in a much-loved village tradition. The donkey derby in Bampton was run by the Society for the Preservation of Ancient Junketing, that's Badgers, which was formed in 1953 and also runs the village's famous shirt race. Children aged eight and above and weighing under eight stone ride the donkeys in the August bank holiday custom. There are eight races with six donkeys in each. Each race is sponsored by a local business and the donkeys are sponsored by villagers. All proceeds fund trips for Bampton seniors. Oh, sorry. All proceeds fund trips for Bampton senior citizens. Visitors to Sandford's Field also tried their hand at games such as crockery smashing and splat the rat. While children, not keen on donkey racing, enjoyed pinning on tails. Nick Holmes of Spadgers said, Thank you to everyone who helped make the Donkey Derby such a great success this year. What a fabulous day we had. Fun and sunshine all around. And there's a lovely photo that goes with it, with some of the donkeys actually being ridden in the race. And the one in the front looks like he's really going for it. And the next article is a less cheery story. It concerns a court case. The headline is Cowardly Attacker Broke Woman's Nose After Drinks. A man who launched the cowardly attack that left his victim with a badly broken nose has been jailed. Timothy Wall was told by the judge who sent him down for two years that he should be thoroughly ashamed of himself. The 40-year-old who has been put behind bars in the past for arson and for throwing a bottle at a lorry on the A34, was at Oxford Crown Court on Tuesday, August the 29th, over an attack that dated back to August 2021. He and his victim, a woman who was known to him, had been drinking in Whitney when he made a pass at her. Wall initially faced a charge of sexually assaulting the woman by touching her although the charge was not pursued by prosecutors when the matter was sent up to the Crown Court by the magistrates. Prosecuting Jonathan Sank 
described the defendant as mauling the victim. When she pushed him away, Wall lost his temper. He put his hands around her throat, punched her in the face, then struck her repeated blows as she tried to defend herself. Judge Michael Gledhill, KC, told the the defendant, you thumped her so hard you smashed her nose, leaving bony particles floating in her nose. She had to have anaesthetic to correct the damage that you'd done to her. He added, I look at the photographs taken shortly after this incident to see what members of the public would regard as horrific injuries. It took almost a year for Thames Valley Police to send a file to the Crown Prosecution Service for consideration over how it should be dealt with, the court heard. The prosecution lawyers asked for further inquiries to be made which were not completed until around March 2023 and Wall's case was not in front of the magistrate's court until earlier this summer. Defending Wall, Gordana Austin asked the judge to take this delay into account when he sentenced her client. The difficulty facing Wall was that he had been in court since the assault was committed in August 2021 and been convicted of other crimes. Wall, who had more than 80 offences on his list of previous convictions, was a long-term drug addict who had also battled alcohol abuse. He had a number of mental health difficulties. Jailing him for two years for causing actual bodily harm, Judge Gledhill told the defendant, you ought to be thoroughly ashamed of yourself. He added, yes, you're a Class A drug addict. Yes, you abuse alcohol. Yes, you have a drugs problem, but that does not in any way excuse your behaviour. A restraining order prevents Wall of Main Road, Long Hambra, from contacting his victim for a decade. The following article is headed, Town Home Care Group is among the best in the country. A care home group which helps people in Whitney has been named as one of the best in the country. Bellevue Care Home has won an award for being listed in the UK's best small home care groups for 2023. The list was produced by the leading home care review site, homecare.co.uk, to help people find home care that is right for their needs, location and budget. The award is based on the home care group's reviews from the people they care for, plus their friends and relatives. There is no ranking within the top 20 home care awards. There are 762 home care groups and 11,848 home care providers in the UK. Nearly a million disabled and older people receive care at home so they can stay living independently in their own homes. This includes help with getting dressed, washed, preparing meals and drinks and administering medication. Bellevue Care Home, which also provides services in Abingdon, Wantage, Oxford, Didcot and Wallingford, adopts the Buzzo's model method, Dutch for neighbourhood care, which is a nurse-led model of holistic home care that supports independent living in a community setting.
Judy Fell Bellevue founder and chief executive said, once again, with immense pride, Bellevue Care accepts the prodigious top 20 Home Care Group Award for the second consecutive year, a testament to the unwavering dedication of our exceptional well-being support workers who tirelessly serve our community. Our innovative approach, inspired by the highly successful Dutch Berzog way of working, is reflected in our small, localised and tightly knit teams comprising remarkable individuals. They deliver outstanding at-home care, driven by their profound compassion to empower people to live well in the comfort of their homes. This recognition reaffirms the strength of our commitment to making a positive impact on the lives we touch. Amanda Hopkins, Reviews Manager of the Home Care website, said, People are living longer with multiple health conditions, and so home care providers, which offers care tailored to people living in their own home, have become a key element in health and social care in Britain. Right, I have a story entitled Villagers Say New Housing is Eroding Local Character. Residents of the village has expanded almost 50% in six years, calling for an end to the development and insisting their community's identity is being lost. Manor Oak Homes has applied to West Oxfordshire District Council for outline permission to build 43 new two to five bedroom new homes with up to 17 stated as affordable housing in North Lee, near Whitney. More than 240 houses have been approved for or built in the village since 2017. North Lee Parish Council said the development would bring the total number to 1,000, resulting in North Lee hardly being classified as a village now. And it is the latest estate that would lead to the coalescence of North Lee with New Yat, eroding the village character of both communities. One angry neighbour said, the development bridges the gap between North Lee and New Yat and effectively creates one village. The development would fill in a corner of North Lee adjacent to New Yat and is currently serving as the gap. There must be a limit to the development and it's reasonable to argue that this has already been reached. Thirty residents, residents attended a recent parish planning meeting, while at least 60 residents have emailed Manor Oak directly to object. North Lee Parish Council stated, There is an insufficient infrastructure support, this, such as doctors, dentists, school places and public transport locally. It said the extra cars used by the new residents on the road, which the developer estimates at 80+, plus, would increase the already trans- dangerous roads in the village. Thameswater agreed a grampian clause will be required to prevent occupation of houses until there is sufficient sewage capacity at the Church Hamra Sewage Works, which is op- operating outside its legal permit. Its upgrade work is scheduled to be for completion in March 2025. This means that the proposal will not be completed in time for to make a contribution to the current five-year plan in West Oxfordshire anyway, said the Parish Council. 
And it argues that the West Oxfordshire Local Plan says any new development should be in fill or limited and have regard to the character and scale of the village while the, this estate does, does not. This is a purely speculative application for planning permission by a non-local land promoter who is not familiar with the site or location in North Leeds at the Council. It also said the scheme was likely to suffer from the same subsidence and flooding issues as the estate next door, which it said suffers from cracked walls, flooding gardens and damp and where, damp and where remedial work is ongoing. Whitney MP Robert Courts has written to the Environment Agency on behalf of residents to determine the responsibility for permitting housing on the field. Answering questions raised during a public consultation, Manor Oak Homes said the current local plan requires a minimum of 15,950 new homes to be built by 2031. It said the sites identified are not delivering at the pace required and the council must be allowed must allow others to other sites, including those outside existing settlements, to come forward. It conceded that the proposals would result in the development of field between North Lee and New Yat. But it said the estate on the opposite side of the New Yat Road means the site was fully enclosed by buildings to the north and the development would not extend beyond built form closer to New Yat than it already exists. However, it added development will be focused on the centre of the site. At a meeting earlier this month, members of, West of West District Council's Lowlands Area Planning Committee voted to make a site visit. Volunteers needed to back speed watch group. Volunteers, sorry, volunteers are needed to join a community scheme to check on speeding motorists in Whitney. Community Speedwatch allows trained volunteers to monitor the speed of passing vehicles using a handheld speed detection device. It is a national initiative which aims to raise awareness of the dangers of speeding and helps to control the problem locally. Their findings are reported to police who are funding the scheme, who write a polite letter to discourage a repeat. Councillor Andrew Coles, chair of the Whitney Traffic Advisory Committee, which is running it, said, Concerns about speeding and road safety are one of the biggest issues residents raise with us as a committee. We've listened to those concerns and are pleased to be working with Whitney Town Council and Thames Valley Police to help make our streets safer. We are currently seeking local volunteers to offer small amounts of time for the benefit of our community. The scheme aims to keep our roads safe for all road users by supporting the police to help educate drivers. It also enables them to prioritise their resources where they are most needed in our community. We are aiming to initially focus our efforts on roads close to local schools. Community Speedwatch schemes operate in many other local areas and have proven to be effective. We're delighted to be bringing it to Whitney. My headline is Village Ale Event Attracts Record Crowd of Drinkers. A beer festival in an Oxfordshire village 
had its most successful year with its highest ever attendance. The Finstock Ale event was first held in 2013 to raise funds for a new village hall. But the village hall is now built. Even so, an annual festival is now being held to raise funds for good causes. The festival is held on the first weekend of September with beers and ciders hand-picked from across the country on offer. Organiser Rod Ireland said... It exceeded our expectations. We had our highest attendance ever. Many of the beers sold out and all the people we spoke to had a really good time and can't wait for next year. We will be doing it all over again in the first weekend of September 2024. So put it in your diary to come and see us. He said, We are different from any other beer festivals that you will go to. During the course of the year, we travel the country trying different beers and select what we consider to be the best. Our aim is to offer beers that you won't find in your local pub. And he explained the event is called the Finstock Ale rather than a beer festival due to historical reasons. The parish ale was a party or festivity in an English parish at which ale was the main drink. It was typically, even then, a fundraising occasion for the parish and might include music and dancing. This article is titled Breakthrough in Hunt for Gold Toilet Thieves. A breakthrough has been made in the hunt for a gang who sold, stole a five million gold toilet from Blenheim Palace back in September 2019. A file of evidence into the theft has been submitted by police to the Crown Prosecution Service, according to national reports. The 18-carat gold toilet was part of an exhibition at the palace near Woodstock by Italian artist Maurizio Catalan. But it was stolen in an early morning raid on September 14th, nearly four years ago. Seven suspects were arrested at the time, but no one was formally charged in connection with the theft. These included a 37-year-old man from London who was arrested on suspicion of handling stolen goods and a 36-year-old man from Cheltenham who was arrested on suspicion of conspiracy to burdle. A 68-year-old man from Evesham and a 45-year-old man from Kent were also arrested on suspicion of burglary. A 38-year-old woman, a 37-year-old man and a 36-year-old man, all from Oxford, were arrested on suspicion of conspiring to commit a burglary other than a dwelling. It will now be the decision of the Crown Prosecution Service, CPS, to determine if charges will be brought. A CPS spokesman said, We have received a full file of evidence from Thames Valley Police following an investigation in relation to this case and are considering the material in line with our legal test. A spokesman for Thames Valley Police added, a number of individuals remain released under investigation in relation to this case. The stolen toilet entitled America and worth 
4.8 million has never been found. It was displayed previously at Guggenheim Museum in New York and could be used as a functioning toilet. In 2016, 100,000 people queued to use it, but a three-minute time limit was imposed to limit waiting times. At the time of the theft, the golden toilet had only been on display in Blenheim Palace for two days. It was located opposite the room where wartime Prime Minister Winston Churchill was born at the UNESCO World Heritage Site. The toilet was plumbed in when it was stolen and the heist therefore caused flooding damage to the UK's only non-royal palace. Only the flushing mechanism and loo roll were left behind by the thieves. Back in 2019, Mr Catalan said, At first, when they woke me up with the news, I thought it was a prank. Who's so stupid as to steal a toilet? I have two short stories. First one is distinctive dirt bikes are stolen from garage. Two dirt bikes have been stolen from a garage of a Whitney home. Thieves broke into the garage of a property in Oxford Hill and took the distinctive motocross bikes sometime overnight between Wednesday the 30th and Thursday the 31st of August. Thames Valley Police is now asking for anyone with information about the bike theft, including any doorbell or dashcam footage, to come forward. Second story. Carer's death a mystery. Mystery surrounds the cause of a carer's death in Whitney at the start of the year. Senkrom Sakala, 41, of Ibri Close, collapsed on his bed in the early hours of January the 2nd, having woken to use the toilet, Oxford Coroner's Court heard last week. He was thought to have suffered a cardiac arrest and members of his family started CPR. He was taken to John Ratcliffe Hospital by paramedics, but died that morning. Zambian-born Mr Sakala, cause of death could not be ascertained despite a post-mortem. Coroner Joanna Coleman recorded an open conclusion. A bus crash in Woodstock has prompted renewed calls for the service to be rerouted away from the historic marketplace. Pictures showed the front of the double-decker touching the honeystone front of the old national sorry, Old Nat West building, at around 10.45pm on Friday. The crash followed calls for buses to be rerouted away from the historic town centre and instead turn at the purpose-built turning circle north of Old Woodstock. Buses on the S7 route are understood to have been turning in the town square following changes to the route in the spring. Woodstock Town Councillor Sharon Pan said it was now obvious that the larger buses should no longer be able to turn in the town square. Based on the scene in the town centre on Friday night, it feels that if the parking charge machines don't destroy some of the businesses in the town, then the large buses manoeuvring round the town square might, he said. 
County Councillor Andy Graham told the Oxford Mail he had asked for an urgent meeting with Oxfordshire County Council's Chief Executive and Cabinet Member for Highway Management, Councillor Andrew Gant. My patience is now at an end and I think it's time that we actually made a decision and stepped to it, which is to ask Stagecoach to reroute back to the original bus turning at the other side of Old Woodstock, he said. I just think it's totally unacceptable. It's untenable. He said the council had had discussions with Stagecoach, even pondering whether wing mirrors could be re-engineered in order to make it easier for the vehicles to turn. I think the crash actually goes further. It actually shows the buses can't turn safely. And when we're putting pedestrians at risk, this can't continue, Councillor Graham added. Stagecoach West has been approached for comment about the crash. Thames Valley Police, whose offices were called to the crash on Friday night, said it did not answer queries about road traffic collisions, except those it had issued press releases about. Now, this week's editor's piece is about the Witchwood Forest. It was once uh, an area that covered most of Oxfordshire, and it grew many of the oak trees that were used to build Drake's fleet that defeated the Spanish Armada. And Witchwood Oak was also used in the building of Nelson's flagship at the Battle of Trafalgar. Now, uh, although much reduced, the forest still covers a large area of land between the Windrush and Evenlow rivers. The late Molly Harris, a very good friend of Whitney Talking News, spent a year exploring the forest and then produced a beautifully illustrated book with a chapter devoted to her observations for each month of the year. And here's an extract from her forest observations for September. September always reminds me of Whitney Feast, always held on the first Monday after the first Sunday after the 8th of September. It was, of course, around this date that the famous Forest Fair was held in Witchwood from 1790 until 1855. But some say it ended in 1857. And the reason that this Forest Fair originated, well, so the story goes, was that some religious families living in nearby Whitney thought that the Whitney Feast was a terrible place to take their children. It was full of ruffians and pickpockets and naughty sideshows. And so while everyone else went off to the feast and had a wonderful time, these holier-than-thou folk took their families on a lovely picnic in Newell Plain in Witchwood Forest. They enjoyed themselves so much that they told their friends about it, and they in turn told theirs. Over the years, it just grew and grew, and at the height of its popularity, before the fair was stopped, they say that some 40,000 people attended. The event lasted two or three days, with Lord Churchill, who lived in Cornbury Mansion, officially opening it, arriving in his coach and four without riders and horns blowing. People came from miles around and bought pots and pans, clothes and boots from the numerous stalls that traders set up there, some of which came from as far away as Birmingham. But unfortunately, the fair was spoiled, 
and thieves, pickpockets and robbers had a profitable time and there was much debauchery and dreadful things going on so that Lord Churchill stopped it being held. This was in the 1850s when the Enclosure Act came in so he had every right to stop it. And when the last fair was held there an excursion train brought people uh, sorry, ten excursion trains brought people to Charlbury Station to attend the fair. And uh, now we move on to this week's notice board. And there are no birthdays that we've got listed for the coming week. But we are sorry to announce the following deaths. On the 14th of August, Vincent Legg of Whitney, aged 88. On the 20th of August, Adonella Bone of Whitney, aged 61. On the 22nd of August, Pam Stockton, aged 82. On the 26th of August, Brenda Rippon, aged 79. And finally, on the 28th of August, Elaine Everett Ward, aged 79. And of course, our sincere condolences to all family and friends of the deceased. And uh, finally, in this section of our programme, we've got the quizzes. And we begin with the answers to Bridget's questions of last week. And here they go. The first question was, the leaf of which tree is shown on the Canadian flag? Well, everybody got that. In what kind of tree is the man who would become Charles II said to have hidden after losing the Battle of Worcester? And where was it? Any ideas? In an oak. And it was at Buscable in Shropshire. Third question. What wood did Grinling Gibbons favour for his carving? And what vegetable item is considered to be his signature? (laughs) Blank. It was lime, and the signature carving was a pea pod. Uh, fourthly, what insect was responsible for spreading Dutch elm disease, and what kind of organism caused this disease? It was a beetle. It was a beetle, and, and it, it caused a fungus. And finally, which book of the Old Testament contains the story of Abraham being caught in a terebinth tree and dying. And whose son was he? It was in the second book of Samuel, and he was David's son. Now, uh, Bridget asked if you would send in details of any favourite wooden articles that you had. So far, we've received nothing back from you, but Alan, who's sitting next to me, has got an article that he's brought in. Perhaps you'd like to tell us about it, Alan. Uh, yes, I would. I, I, um, I was intrigued by Bridget, uh, Bridget's idea, and I looked around my house, and I could see that there were a number of things that I'd brought back with me from Papua New Guinea. I worked there, lived there for a couple of years uh, back in the 80s. But, and I've got bowls, I've got raffia trays, I've got billums, which are hand sort of knitted bags um, made by native Papua New Guineans. And I, even at one stage I had a bow and arrows, but I hid them from the children and I've never been able to find them since. 
But my pig is my prized possession, I think. He's about uh, six or seven inches long, and he's about two or three inches tall. He's made from cowrie, which is a uh, Papua New Guinea um, hardwood. I think it occurs in other parts of the world as well, but it's um, very popular in PNG. Um, as I say, I was there in 84, 85, so that would make him probably best part of 30-odd 30, 30 years old, I suppose. Um, he's a carved, simple piece. He's got a sort of natural stripe from the wood, um, which, you know, which is part of the wood, I guess. Uh, a very pleasing sort of effect to him, I think. Um, nice detail. He's got a curly tail and a razor back, if you know what I mean by that, a sort of elevated or raised area on his back. Uh, and he's got very prominent ears, for a pig. Um, just to say that pigs are prized in Papua New Guinea. Um, don't particularly know why, except I guess they're a source of food and easily raised, and they actually live with the villagers, um, cheek by jowl, so to say. Um, and I find it a very nice keepsake, which uh, uh, is actually very um, nice to handle as well. So that's my story about my wooden pig. I have to say, it's very well behaved. <laughs> he is, so far, yes. So we now move on to this week's quiz, don't we? And uh, uh, quite simple questions for you this week. Question one. Which county are the following in? Corf Castle, the Cern Giant and Milton Abbey. Answer next week. Question two. On whose books is the TV series All Creatures Great and Small based? Question three. Which gas is often referred to as marsh gas? Question four. Very topical because uh, the World Cup begins tomorrow. How many players in a rugby union team? And finally, question five. In which month is the Epsom Derby traditionally run? As they say, answers next week. You're editing, aren't you? I am, yes. There you go. Thank you. My headline on this story is Airman Hurt When Bus Was Hit by Careless Driver. An airman suffered terrible injuries after the minibus in which he was travelling from RAF Bryce Norton was pushed onto its side by a careless driver. Toyota driver Aodeji Adedeji failed to stop in time at the junction of Barrow Road and Farringdon Road on the outskirts of Abingdon on August the 16th last year, crashing into the minibus which was taking service personnel from the Oxfordshire airbase. The minibus rolled over. While those inside largely escaped with minor injuries, one airman had had his arm out of the window at the time of the crash. On Thursday last week, Oxford Crown Court heard how the man had suffered terrible wounds. Pieces of grit and other debris had to be removed from his skin, beneath his skin, by plastic surgeons. Sentencing. Judge Michael Gledhill, KC, told 28-year-old Adedeji, You've heard described the procedures that had to take place once he got to the John Radcliffe Hospital to remove, in effect, shrapnel from his body. He needed plastic surgery. He had to have a skin graft. 
It's taken months for him to recover. The victim had suffered post-traumatic stress from the injury and was not sure whether or when he would be able to return to work, it was said. Judge Gledhill said, It's a terrible tragedy and it is of your making due to that moment's lapse that caused you not to be able to stop. Adedeji of Kestrel Crescent, Oxford, pleaded guilty at the magistrate's court to careless, sorry, causing serious injury by careless driving. This is a relatively new charge that only came into force last summer. He had no previous convictions and was in work, the court heard. The judge imposed a 12-month community order with 250 hours of unpaid work being required and he banned Adedeji from driving for two years. He ordered the payment of £1,000 in compensation but made it clear, I don't want the victim to think I only value the injuries he sustained at the sum of £1,000. In fact, I regard £1,000 by way of compensation for this man's injury, injuries as verging on derisory. But I hope he will understand in these circumstances I am not at all lessening the injuries he sustained. Nigel Osborne, prosecuting, said he would draft a letter to the victim setting out the judge's comments. Following the criminal proceedings, any civil claim would be dealt with by the respective insurance companies, it was said. A car mini plant to cut workers as it phases out models. A number of workers at the mini plant in Cowley have been told they are losing their jobs. The car manufacturer BMW is moving to a different shift pattern as they phase out old vehicle models. It is understood that the job losses are amongst temporary staff, but BMW did not confirm the numbers of employees affected when pushed by this newspaper. A spokesperson for BMW said, We are in the process of phasing out our current models and building up to new ones next year, which is normal in the automotive business. This means that we will be producing fewer cars than usual for a period and so we need to move to a different shift pattern. As a result, some of our temporary staff have been stood down. We understand that this has an impact on part of our team employed by Staffline and we are doing everything possible to retain as many as possible within the business. The spokesperson continued, We can't give a specific number because we are working on plans to retain as many as possible and we don't know yet what the net effect will be. The mini plant, owned by BMW, is one of the largest employers in the city. It is located just off the Oxford Ring Road in Cowley. The plant forms part of the mini production triangle with plant Harms Hall in North Warwickshire and plant Swindon. In March, it was announced that BMW was considering a £500 investment into its Oxford plant. I have a story about a drug dealer, teen, arrested four months after escape. A teen cannabis dealer was caught dealing with drug twice in four months on a court heard. Police officers first spotted Christian Ellis Leachman 
in Whitney in September 2021 and, suspicious of what he was doing, tried to stop him. They failed to detain him, but in his rush to get away, the then 17-year-old left his expensive rucksack. Its contents were even more valuable, an estimated £3,000 worth of cannabis and £630 in cash. Some four months later, in January 20th, he was arrested with £2,500 in cash, a small amount of cannabis and a couple of mobile phones. Messages on the telephones linked him to the supply of cannabis. On Friday, Oxford Crown Court heard that he had a previous conviction for being concerned in the supply of Class B drugs. He was 16 years old, a case dealt with at the youth court. Ellis Leachman, now 19, a farmer's close Whitney, pleaded guilty at an earlier hearing to being concerned in the supply of cannabis. Mitigating, George Joseph said the young client, only just 18 when he was caught in 2022, was embarrassed to find himself in court and embarrassed to have his parents here with him today. The teenager was gaining qualifications to enable him to work on building sites and was supported by a number of character references that spoke of him as hard-working and keen to make amends for his offending. Judge Maria Lamb suspended the eight-month prison sentence for two years. Referring to the character references, she said, It is quite clear from what they say there are positive things that can be said about you. I hope that you mean you have heard you have turned your back on involvement with drugs. Knowing as you do the sorts of sentences that are going to be dealt out to those who continue to support drugs, who supply drugs, who continue to cause misery in other people's lives. I hope that they will act as some kind of deterrent. As part of a suspended prison sentence, he was ordered to do 120 hours of unpaid work and up to 20 rehabilitation activity requirement days. The requirement is aimed to helping him turn his life around. Solar panel plan in eco-leisure centre revamp. A council aims to reduce carbon emissions at a leisure centre to help it achieve net zero targets. Leisure centres are some of the most energy-intensive parts of council sites. West Oxfordshire District Council is looking into replacing Carterton Leisure Centre's gas boilers with low-carbon heating, such as air source heat pumps, and installing solar panels. Air source heat pumps would heat the building, supply hot water and heat the swimming pool. Solar panels would supply clean electricity and efficient new ventilation systems using smart technology, would improve airflow to improved customer comfort. Councillor Andrew Prosser, Executive Member for Climate Change, said, By their very nature, leisure centres are energy-intensive buildings, and we have been conscious of the need to investigate measures to lessen their impact on the environment and make them more climate resilient and cost effective for residents. We are currently looking at possible technical solutions and costs to enable decisions to be made on any changes to the leisure centre. 
Any disruption to services will be kept to a minimum and are unlikely to affect the facilities available. As one of its largest leisure centres, Carterton Leisure Centre was responsible for 33% of the Council's natural gas emissions in 2022. Partial funding for the project has been awarded through the Government's Public Sector Decarbonisation Scheme. And this story is headlined, Harry Potter Book Could Sell for £20,000. A proof copy of the first ever Harry Potter book, which was bought for £1, is set to fetch £20,000 at auction after being found during a primary school clear-out in Whitney. The ultra-rare Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone was discovered at St. Kenelm's Primary School in Minster Lovell, which purchased it for £26 years ago. The uncorrected proof copy was one of only 200 printed by Bloomsbury in 1997 and marked the start of the Harry Potter phenomenon. The book is such an early example, it even gets the author's name wrong, stating J.A. Rowling instead of J.K. Rowling. The school purchased the book in 1997, the year the books were first published, but feared it had accidentally been thrown away after it went missing for eight years. However, it turned up by chance during a summer tidy-up and could now sell for tens of thousands of pounds. It will go under the hammer at Hanson's Auctioneers in Etwall, Derbyshire, with a guide price of £15,000 to £20,000 this month. Jim Spencer, head of books at Hanson's, said, This book is where it all began. This is the very first appearance in print of the first Harry Potter novel. The title page states the author's name as J.A. Rowling and on the other side as Joanne Rowling. It's believed just 200 copies of this book were printed by Bloomsbury. This modest little paperback is the beginning of it all. The author's signing tours, the midnight queues outside bookshops, the movies, the merchandise, it all stems from this. This copy bears a stamp for St. Kenelm's School. It has decided to sell the book, which was originally put on the shelves of the library for pupils to read. The plain cover evidently didn't inspire many, if any, takers, and so it has survived remarkably well. As soon as the Harry Potter mania developed, the school wisely removed it from its borrowing shelves. Bob Elder, 75, retired St. Kenelm's School headteacher from Whitney, said, The book was purchased by St. Kenelm's Primary School in 1997 from Red House Books, which held an annual sale of books from its warehouse in Whitney. Local schools, nurseries and playgroups had the first choice of book, books in the sale. Books were usually about half price, some even less, and the school would purchase something like 50 books in each of the annual sales. It was quite by luck that the Harry Potter was spotted in the sale. It had none of the attractiveness of a typical children's paperback, and it cost us a pound. It was not thought then to have any value. However, it was known from press coverage later that the story was something special, and to read extracts to the children would encourage them to own their own copy.
Beckham's withdrawing plans to build new road. The Beckhams have withdrawn a planning application to build a second access road to their home. Meanwhile, they have submitted a new application for a home office. Former footballer David Beckham and his fashion designer wife Victoria have been granted planning permission to build a new glass house and kitchen garden with raised beds at their great Chew home near Chipping Norton. They applied for permission to build a temporary 250 metre access road which would be in place for two years so the allotment and glass house can be built. But a public planning document from senior planner James Nelson dated August 25th says, Further to our recent communication, I confirm that the application described above has now been treated as withdrawn. National newspaper reports suggested that in response to the application, neighbours accused the Beckhams of bringing suburbia to the countryside and ridiculed the string of changes they have made to their £12 million estate. Since buying the three listed barns for £650,000 in 2016, the couple have added a new driveway and gates, an additional garage, outbuildings, tennis court, tree house, security hut, extension to the garage outbuilding and a landscape pond. One angry neighbour is reported to have told the son that he wouldn't be surprised if the celebrity couple applied for a funfair ride to be installed in the garden. The paper claims that in comments submitted to West Oxfordshire District Council, a neighbour said, I am always amazed at those who come to live in the countryside and then want to bring in suburbia. They are not content to live in a natural country environment. They want to build a lake, not content content with a natural small lake. They then want to enlarge it to some four acres with an island so they can have picnics on the island. Yes, the council have put restrictions on the approved application. But who checks up on this? that no motorised boats are being used. The applicants defended their plans, saying they would recreate a classic English meadow scene. Well, if that was the case, I would change my landscape architecture because Capability Brown would never have designed a garden with such features as a huge football pitch, a spectator stand, an outdoor pool and a sauna, Classic English, I don't think so. In fact, Oxfordshire County Council's transport official raised no objection to the track and just one neighbour objected, pointing out that it was listed as a footpath with Oxfordshire County Council and on the Rambler's website as a public right-of-way. Meanwhile, the Beckhams have submitted a new planning application to convert the roof space of an outbuilding into a home office. A planning statement states, conservation roof lights will be added and access will be via a tallet staircase to the outside. The outbuilding is already in use for garden stores and as an office.
planning documents say the minor alterations will not impact on the appearance of the building or harm the wider setting, and there is no impact on neighbouring properties. But two neighbours say, due to the drip feeding of various planning applications, including a log store, it amounts to residential by the back door. One furious neighbour has made five submissions to the West Oxfordshire District Council planning portal, stating many people locally indicated to West Oxfordshire Council the increase in the residential curtilage of this property will see an ever-increasing number of buildings and to date we have all been proved right. The Beckham's representative has been contacted by the Whitney Gazette but failed to respond to them. The Beckham's property is along the same road as the exclusive private members club, Soho Farmhouse, which hosted Meghan Markle's hen party and is a well-known A-lister haunt. My final story is entitled Cinderella Gets a Latin American Makeover. There will be a Latin American twist to the additional tale of the theatre at Chipping Norton this Christmas. The cast has been announced for its family pantomime Cinderella. The reimagined classic story has been written by John Terry with music by Rebecca Applin and Elaine Correa. The Latin American music and dance are really a riot of colour and non-stop silliness, it promises to be a marked departure from the childhood favourite. Mr Terry, the theatre's artistic director and the director of Cinderella, said, this production of Cinderella feels like a real exploration of what a panto can be in 2023. Outward-looking, multicultural, channelling artistic excellence from a huge diversity of creative people in the folk form of this point of mine. With actors, musicians and theatre makers from at least 10 countries across Europe and Latin America, this is going to be a joyful blast of carnival colour and energy the likes of which neither Cinderella nor Chipping Norton has seen before. I have always found Panto to be an incredibly generous and forgiving art form. It despises moderation and thrives on giddy, open-hearted celebration. With this production we hope to give all of the pantomime staples, dames, sing-along songs, throwaway sweets, and of course, lots of wonderful bad gags and a new exciting twist. Our interpretation carries a strong but optimistic environmental theme, with Cinderella a fragile home in the rainforest collapsing around her. Cinderella is at the Theatre Chipping Norton from November the 15th, to January the 14th, tickets from Chipping Norton Theatre. Oh, yes, it is. Well, that's all we've got time for, so please remove the memory stick from the playback unit, close the metal shield, and remember to reverse that plastic address label on the yellow pouch before you post it back to us. Could you please do that as soon as possible, because we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. 
Now it only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for all the stories we've used this week and thanks also to our technical expert Eric Imerson and our copiers who are going to be Alan and Stefan and they're going to be copying the memory sticks and uh, to our volunteers who've been checking the pouches and the memory sticks you've sent back and keeping a record of this in our register and they were Rachel Fielding and Jill Breakspeare. And finally, our four readers, they were Alan, Anne, Stefan and Barbara. And now we'd all like to say goodbye, and so until our next edition, goodbye. goodbye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, September 2nd. The Birdcage is a radio drama from 1984 by Rose Tremaine in which a suburban nurse looks after a terminally ill great musician. Radio 4 Extra at 11am or 5pm. Mahabharata Now is an adaptation of the ancient Indian poem dramatised as a family epic set in 21st century Mumbai. The boss of a vast conglomerate decides to publish a will after signs of ill health, but his choices plunge his family into chaos. The first of two parts is on Saturday, Radio 4, 3pm. In music's Inner Vision, singer Victoria Oruwaru, who is blind, talks about blind or partially sighted performers through the ages, including Louis Braille, who invented a system of musical notation just as groundbreaking as his code for reading and writing. Radio 3 for this on Saturday, 6.30 in the evening. And the last week of The Proms begins with a dramatic and musical exploration and then a performance of Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring, 7.30, Radio 3, Saturday evening. Sunday, September 3rd, and this week's edition of The Reunion brings together the team behind the 1980s satirical puppet show Spitting Image and revisits the story of a show which very nearly didn't happen. Radio 4, 11.15 Sunday morning. The Drop is a thriller from 2020 by Mike Heron about a retired spy read by John Herriman. Radio 4 Extra at 11.30 in the morning or repeated at 5.30pm. The drama on Sunday is Milady, an original story by Lucy Catherine for the Three Musketeers' arch-enemy Milady de Winter, charting her rise from a spirited provincial teenager to becoming a deadly political operative in 17th century Paris and London. It's on Radio 4 on Sunday afternoon at 3. While the Proms presents Berlioz Le Trojans, a five-act grand opera retelling the story of the fall of Troy and the doomed love of Dido and Ennius. It begins at four o'clock on Radio 3. On to programmes then that are broadcast at the same time every day, Monday to Friday. So same time, same radio station, every day of the week, Monday to Friday. Book of the Week, Invitation to a Banquet, the story of Chinese food. Fuchsia Dunlop reads from her own book reflecting on the earliest truly global cuisine. Radio 4, Monday to Friday, 9.45 in the morning. Ian Carmichael stars as Lord Peter Whimsey in Dorothy L. Sayers' 1930 mystery, Strong Poison. Radio 4 Extra, 11am or 4pm each day. What Maisie Knew is a dramatisation of Henry James's 1897 novel about the complications of love and marriage as seen through the eyes of a child. 
Radio 4 Extra for this one all week at 12.15 lunchtime or 5.15 in the evening. Composer of the week is George Frederick Handel on Radio 3 at 12 noon all week. Over the last 100 years, we've seen global life expectancy double. Could it happen again? Technology reporter and psychologist Alex Kutowski explores the frontiers of extreme longevity in The Immortals, a new series on Radio 4 at 1.45 all week. As part of the series, the essay Five Kinds of Beethoven explores the composer in a contemporary and personal context. This one's on Radio 3 at 10.45 each night, Monday to Thursday. Well, back to Monday to Friday for the rest of the week. Book at Bedtime, The Exhibitionist by Charlotte Mendelssohn follows the lives of a dysfunctional middle-class family living in London in the early 2010s. Tracy Ann Oberman is the reader on Radio 4 at 10.45 each night. On to individual programmes then for the rest of the week starting with Monday, September 4th. Lewis and Tolkien, The Lost Road, marks the 50th anniversary of Tolkien's death with an account from 2013 of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien's long friendship. Radio 4 Extra, 10am, or repeated at 3 o'clock on Radio 4 Extra. The Nationwide General Knowledge Contest, Brain of Britain, is into its fourth heat, Radio 4, at 3 well, this week's episode of History Secret Heroes is Ghost Army, in which Helena Bonham Carter shares the story of Bernie Blunstein, Seymour Nussbaum and George Dramas, who were all part of the Secret Army unit in the Second World War that put on a show for an audience who wanted to kill them. Radio 4, 4pm. 4 While Wally, the reluctant nuclear hero, tells the story of this physicist who prevented nuclear disaster during the Vietnam War. Radio 4, Monday evening, 8pm. Tuesday, September 5th, The Hard Buy is a thriller from 1968 in which a British playboy has to uncover why he's being discredited and framed. Aboard his luxury yacht, he embarks on a dramatic journey to clear his name. It's on Radio 4 Extra at 6.30 in the morning, or if you prefer, 11.30 or 4.30, and it actually carries on for the rest of the week too. Justin Welby's guest on Tuesday in the Archbishop interviews is Afghan human rights campaigner Zarifa Kafari, Radio 4, 11am. And Veronica is a dramatisation of H.G. Wells' 1909 novel about a woman who rebels against her family and society. It's narrated by Bill Nighy as H.G. Wells, Radio 4 Extra, at 3 o'clock. In a thorough examination, live at Hay, twin doctors Chris and Zan Van Tuchlin reflect on the way their lives have changed since they started recording their podcast, including Zan's almost three-stone weight loss and Chris's book about ultra-processed food. Radio 4 for this on Tuesday afternoon at 3.30. In the series Great Lives, Matthew Paris talks to choreographer David Bintley about Dame Ninette de Voilly on Radio 4 at 4.30. The Crooked House has a report on the recent destruction by fire of a much-loved Black Country Landmark and one of the oldest pubs in England. Radio 4, 8pm on Tuesday. Well, as usual, Peter White presents In Touch. News and features for people who are blind and partially sighted. Radio 4, Tuesday evening, 8.40. Wednesday, September 6th, in the series Life Support, two paramedics whose collective careers have spanned multiple decades swap notes on the realities of working in healthcare then and now. Radio 4, 
Wednesday morning. Alexi sails strangers on a train. The presenter travels from Cardiff to Portsmouth, meeting a man who looks after tunnels for a living, a woman who speaks Russian and Ukrainian and has been trained to drive a tank, and a technician from the National Oceanography Centre. Radio 4, 11.30am. The drama on Wednesday is the test batter Cans Breathe by James Fritz. During a test match between England and Australia, one of England's most talented batsmen disappears on Radio 4 at 2.15. Also on Wednesday afternoon, Coral Evensong comes from the Chapel of Rugby School on Radio 3 at 4. While Tolkien, The Lost Recordings, features clips from a 1968 interview with the Lord of the Rings author J.R. Tolkien, Radio 4 Extra, 8pm. Thursday, September 7th, in the last of the series Inside Pages, journalist Ian Wiley visits Tavistock in Devon, a thriving town with a strong community spirit, but few opportunities for younger people. Radio 4, 9.30 in the morning. Me, Cheetah, My Life in Hollywood is a dramatisation featuring John Malkovich as Cheetah the Chimp, who between the 30s and 60s featured in Hollywood Tarzan Adventures, starring Johnny Weissmuller. Radio 4 Extra at 10am or at 3pm in the afternoon. Today's edition of Crossing Continents looks at the tragic sinking in June of the Adriana, a heavily overcrowded fishing trawler carrying around 750 migrants in which more than 600 people died. Nick Beek travels to a refugee camp outside Athens to hear the survivors' stories of brutal people smugglers, the terrible journey and the sinking. It's on Radio 4 at 11am on Thursday morning. While in the series Open Country, Field Notes from Eternity explores the rich folklore and natural history of St Melligan Church in Powys on Radio 4 at 3pm. Friday, September 8th, the Steam Excursion is one of Charles Dickens' sketches by Boz, which can be heard on Radio 4 Extra at 8.30am or at 1.30 lunchtime or 6.30 in the evening. In Moonbeam and Mrs Pat, Imelda Staunton plays celebrated actor Mrs Patrick Campbell, who had one constant companion, her little dog Moonbeam. Radio 4 Extra for this one at 10am or 3 in the afternoon. This week's offering in the series Short Works is Still Life with Fruit, a new short story by the awarding-winning writer John McGregor and read by Penelope Wilton. A delicate portrait of life unfolds on Radio 4 at 3.45. The News Quiz returns for a new series on Radio 4 on Friday evening at 6.30. And as the curtain falls in a 2016 programme, looking back on 25 years of New York's influential signature theatre company, you can hear all about it on Radio 4 Extra at 8pm. That's it. Thank you to Wendy for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening. TNS Soundings. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello. This is Lizzie from Otley Talking News with Val's selection of audio-described TV programmes starting Saturday the 2nd of September to Friday the 8th of September 2023. So, let's see what's on offer this week. We start with Saturday the 2nd of September. The Great Foo Guys are cooking a spiced roast root vegetable curry and japatis. 
at 11.30am on BBC One. Nuts are featured in Ainsley's Good Mood Food at 12.35pm on ITV One. The afternoon film is a comedy adventure. When the crown jewels are stolen, bumbling secret agent Johnny English is assigned to retrieve them and catch the culprits. Johnny English is on ITV1 at 4.50pm. There's a triple bill of Midsummer murders today, starting with the incident at Cooper Hill at 5pm on ITV3 when a forest ranger suffers an odd death. On California's Pacific coast, Matt has a close encounter with thousands of elephant seals being tracked by scientists. Matt Baker's Travels in the Country USA is at 6.50pm on Channel 4. Max remains in denial, while Teddy seeks advice from Genthin in the first half of tonight's double bill of casualty, starting at 8.30pm on BBC One. There's another chance to listen to Michael Parkinson's interview from 1974 with Dr. Jacob Brunowski, the presenter and writer of the 1973 documentary series The Ascent of Man. Parkinson, the Dr. Jacob Brunowski interview, is at 10.25pm on BBC4. Moving on to Sunday the 3rd of September. We start today with interviews with key politicians and public figures in Sunday with Laura Koonsberg at 9am on BBC One. Today's comedy film is Oscar Wilde's The Important of Being Earnest on BBC Two at 12.30pm. Monica Galetti and Rob Rinder travel to the highlands of central Sri Lanka in Amazing Hotels, Life Beyond the Lobby, at 8pm on BBC Two. Hope finds unexpected information about Clements' daughter, which might hold the answer to the fate of Lorna's own child. The Woman in the Wall is at 9pm on BBC One. In my opinion, a very welcome return of Bob and Paul, in a new six-part series of Mortimer and Whitehouse Gone Fishing at 9pm on BBC Two, described in the Radio Times as more a meditation on life and male friendship than fishing. With food becoming increasingly scarce as the Canadian winter closes in, one contestant builds a makeshift mousetrap in the reality programme Alone on Channel 4, at 9pm. Now for those programmes which are on at the same time throughout the week. Homes Under the Hammer is at 11.15 and Bargain Hunt is at 12.15, Monday to Friday. Doctors is at 1.45 and Escape to the Country is at 3pm, Monday to Thursday. All these programmes are on BBC One. There is a new series on ITV1, James Martin's Spanish Adventure, 
starts at 12:15 p.m. on Monday, and then is at 2 p.m. Tuesday to Friday. On BBC Four, Great Coastal Railway Journeys is at 7 p.m. Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, but at 8 p.m. on Tuesday. Heartbeat is on ITV Three at 5:55 p.m. and 6:55 p.m. Monday to Friday. Let's have a look at Monday, the fourth of September. It's quiz time tonight, starting with Mastermind at seven thirty p.m. and University Challenge at eight thirty p.m., both on BBC Two. After emotive speeches from the prosecution and defence, the jury retires. What will their verdict be? Find out in part two of Murder Trial. The disappearance of Renee and Andrew McRae on BBC Two at 9 p.m. RAF Lossiemouth's new surveillance team is called upon when a Russian warship is detected close to vital UK pipelines. In tonight's episode of Top Guns, inside the RAF, at 9 p.m. on Channel Four. In 1941. The Nazi invasion of Ukraine, then part of the Soviet Union, resulted in some of the most horrific acts of genocide of the Second World War. Holocaust survivors, along with historians, discussed the events that led to little-known war crimes trials in the Soviet Union. Ukraine, Holocaust Ground Zero, is on Channel Four at 10 p.m. On to Tuesday, the fifth of September. Finals week begins with the cooks facing their most daunting challenge yet, as they travel to East Sussex to cook a very special meal in a unique kitchen. Celebrity MasterChef is on BBC One at eight pm. Meanwhile, over on Channel Four at eight pm. The remaining teams are welcomed to a 1920s-themed grand final in Bake Off: The Professionals. Rob continues to charm Cheryl, and as she begins to fall for him, he cleverly aligns himself with her charitable trust. After he realizes she is the only person that can access the bank account. The drama, the following events are based on a pack of lies, continues on BBC One at 9 p.m. With a place in the final at stake, it's an adrenaline overload as the planners compete to transform an old cinema into a 1950s Los Angeles beach club for a bride and groom who desire a Hollywood-style wedding. Ultimate Wedding Planner is on BBC Two at 9 p.m. The hopefuls are given another chance to prove themselves by conducting a tour of a 17 million pound mansion in Hampstead, owned by celebrity Boy George. Find out which trainee will get fired in selling super houses at 9 p.m. on Channel Four. Now for Wednesday, the sixth of September. A vintage ceramic nightlight, 
a skateboard and a treasured teddy bear are hoping for some TLC from the experts at the repair shop at 8pm on BBC One. A new series starts tonight of the documentary programme following NHS staff in hospitals around Newcastle, where world-class medics and dedicated support teams work around the clock. Geordie Hospital is at 8pm on Channel 4. Chef's Table is the next challenge for the contestants in Celebrity Masterchef at 9pm on BBC One. Mel Gedroich and Martin Clues embark on a literary tour of Dorset to witness the spectacular scenery and locations made famous by some of Britain's favourite books and films. Mel Gedroich and Martin Clues explore Britain by the book is at 9pm on ITV1. Lee is left reeling after the discovery of a corrupt officer on her team and Seawing descends into chaos when an accident in the prison workshop leads to the inmates going on strike. The prison drama Screw is on Channel 4 at 9pm and continues tomorrow at the same time. Thursday the 7th of September. Stacey Solomon and her team return to help more people tidy up their homes in a new series of Sort Your Life Out with Stacey Solomon at 8pm on BBC One. Dr Hannah Fry visits eBay's Authentication Centre where they're waging a war against the sale of fake high-value trainers in The Secret Genius of Modern Life on BBC Two at 7pm. Tom sees how free businesses cope with sharp peaks and troughs in revenue due to fluctuating seasonal demand in tonight's episode of The Hidden World of Hospitality with Tom Kerridge at 8pm on BBC Two. Paul returns to Battersea Dogs Home where he meets free dogs with problems that need sorting before they can be rehomed. Paul O'Grady, for the love of dogs, is on ITV1 at 8.30pm. The investigators re-examine a death from 2001 after the pathologist on the original inquiry is suspended for negligence in this episode of New Tricks at 10pm on the Drama Channel. Finally, we come to Friday the 8th of September. The Rugby World Cup kicks off in Paris tonight with the opening match between France and New Zealand. Coverage starts on ITV1 at 6.45pm, kick-off at 8.15pm. Although not audio described, you should get an idea of the action from the commentary. The three finalists have two hours to cook and present a faultless three-course meal, but only one can be crowned champion. Find out who is Celebrity Masterchef at 9pm on BBC One.
After a decade away, tonight sees the return of a comedy loved by some and hated by others. In the opening episode of the new series of Mrs. Brown's Boys, Agnes is struggling to sleep and is feeling under the weather. Will the family show her some love? Find out at 9.30pm on BBC One. Although not audio described, you might enjoy listening to the songs featured in the following two programmes on BBC Four. Adele at the BBC at 9.45pm showcases songs from her album 25. This is followed at 10.50pm by Michael Bublé, Radio 2 in concert. Michael and his big band perform classical standards and originals at the BBC Radio Theatre. The late night film is the Oscar winning drama The Queen, starring Helen Mirren and Michael Sheen. Following the death of Princess Diana in 1997, the royal family struggles to acknowledge the nation's display of collective grief. The Queen is on ITV1 at 11.25pm. TNF Soundings TNF Soundings Features from across the UK News and information about living with sight loss from InfoSound. Hello and welcome to edition 36 of InfoShorts from InfoSound, a brief weekly bulletin of news, advice and practical information to help living with sight loss. Produced on the 2nd of September 2023. And in this edition, big button phones, assessing what you need with guide dogs, a suggestion for long cane users, tactile tape measures and support from the Partially Sighted Society. And all in under 10 minutes. Despite mobile phones being so very popular these days and there are several models designed especially for blind and partially sighted users, if you prefer to use or also use a landline phone, there are accessible models of these as well. Big button phones are sold by the Partially Sighted Society, RNIB and Cobalt Systems and they all feature a fairly traditional phone 12-key keypad with large, often tactile buttons with high-contrast black lettering on a white background. This can include tactile function buttons on the front of the phone as well. The Partially Sighted Society sells what they call a basic big-button phone with different shaped large control function keys, adjustable volume, which is hearing aid compatible, for £28.20. You can get further details by calling them on 01302 965195. That's 01302 965195. Nine five. Cobalt Systems sells a big button easy to see telephone which has number memories to store and dial the most frequently called numbers. It has adjustable ringer and speech volumes, it's also hearing aid compatible and the price is £15.95. Cobalt can tell you more if you call them on 01493 700 
one seven two. That's O one four nine three seven double O one seven two. And RNIB sells the BT Big Button two hundred corded phone. Costing £26.66, this model gives the user the option of using the corded handset or the hands-free loudspeaker option to make incoming and outgoing calls. The phone features speech amplification and is hearing aid compatible and the loud button boosts the caller's voice. RNIB's helpline can tell you more about this phone and their number is 0303 Double nine. That's O three O three one two three double nine double nine. Info sound. The charity Guide Dogs is, of course, famous for matching a vision impaired person and their mobility needs with a specifically trained four legged guide with a tail. But the charity is keen that it should also be regarded as somewhere for blind and partially sighted people to go for other types of support as well. And they'll assist you as you go through the process of applying for the right service for you, whether that's help from a sighted guide, although that service is temporarily suspended as they take on more volunteers, learning how technology can increase your independence, or partnering with one of their guide dogs. The process normally starts by you telling guide dogs what you want help with, getting out and about, help with everyday tasks, or connecting with friends and family online, for example. This can be done by filling in an online questionnaire, but they can also be phoned on their guideline on 0800 781 1 That's 0800 781 1 to speak to someone about how they can best support you. They're available from Monday to Friday, 9am to 5pm on that number. Or they can be emailed at information at guidedogs.org.uk InfoSound Hello and welcome to the first of our new style weekly suggestion slots. And we're hoping you'll join us and get in touch to suggest a hint, tip or life hack that we could feature in this part of InfoShorts each week. Our contact details are at the end. This week, we've got one for long cane users. We hear that it's always a good idea to check that firstly, your cane tip isn't worn and therefore might need replacing. And secondly, that you're using the right cane tip for the sort of surfaces you commonly walk on. Wherever you bought your long cane, they should be able to supply you with a replacement cane tip if yours is worn out. Cane tips last from a few weeks to several months or longer, depending on the amount of wear and the surface on which it's most used. One thing to check is that the tip can sweep smoothly when locating obstacles ahead. For common makes of cane, like for example the Ambutech range, there are in fact a fair number of different tips that can be fitted, and they're fairly easily interchangeable, once you get the hang of changing them that is. Tips come in different shapes and sizes, each designed to work well on a particular surface. Some are fixed, like the marshmallow and the pencil tips, while others rotate or roll as you sweep the cane along, like the rolling ball tip, the large disc tip and the wheel-like rover tip. There's even a metal glide tip and robust, longer-lasting versions of some of the fixed tips. So there are lots to choose from, but if you're unsure which might work best for you, do ask advice. And of course, make sure whatever tip you use, it feels right to you and right for your cane technique. So that's this week's suggestion. Don't forget to check your cane tip. Info sound. RNIB sells a selection of items that can be helpful to someone with sight loss to measure things. 
They have protractors, rulers and set squares in yellow plastic with black tactile markers on them and a talking 5-metre tape measure, which we've mentioned recently. But they also sell two lengths of the traditional style tape measures that can be used for, for example, measuring around your waist or the length of a table. This is a tactile tape measure available either in imperial, 6 foot long, or metric, 150 centimetres long. They're both made of plastic coated fabric. The metric tape measure is marked with round eyelets at every centimetre, with a double eyelet marking every 10 centimetres. The imperial measure is marked with round eyelets at every inch and half inch, with a double eyelet marking every foot. They're each priced at £6.50, and you can get further details from RNIB's helpline by calling them on 0303-123-9999. That's 0303-123-9999, or by dropping them an email to helpline at rnib.org.uk. InfoSound. The UK-wide charity, the Partially Sighted Society, can provide individual support, advice and information to anyone affected by sight loss, also their carers, family or friends. They can be phoned to start that support process. In fact, they say they would welcome your call. They can also provide information sheets to download from their website on subjects like age-related macular degeneration, cataracts, diabetes retinopathy, glaucoma, living with low vision registration as sight-impaired or severely sight-impaired, and visual problems associated with stroke. And these can all be found online at www.partsight.org.uk forward slash living hyphen with hyphen sight hyphen loss. www.partsight.org.uk forward slash living hyphen with hyphen sight hyphen loss. So if you'd like any further information about the various types of support the Partially Sighted Society can provide, they can be phoned on 01302965195. That's 01302965195. Nine five, or they can be emailed at Anita at partsite dot org dot uk. Anita at partsite dot org dot uk. And that brings us to the end of this thirty-sixth edition of the weekly Info Shorts Bulletin from InfoSound. And if you have a good hint, tip, or suggestion to share with others, please give us a call and let us know what it is. Our phone number, where you can record what you want to say, is 03000 111 That's 03000 111 But if you'd prefer, you can record your message on your smartphone and email the recording to us at info at infosound.org.uk. We'll all be back next week, so until then, goodbye and thanks for listening. InfoSound TNF Soundings